On today's show, the Hawks are unable to get any kind of defensive resistance going against the Charlotte Hornets on a Monday evening. And as a result, they give up 144 points to the Hornets. Yes, 144, a season high. It was a calamity. The Hawks did not play well at all on this Monday. They were still able to get back into the game down the stretch and had some chances to escape with a victory. But in the end, it wasn't quite enough. We'll have a full breakdown of this game and more coming up. You are locked on Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1412 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday, and today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started with FanDuel. And also, I want to tell you at the top of the podcast, as always, to make us your first listen each and every day at the Locked On Hawks podcast. Follow us across podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. We should be there, and we do appreciate you listening to today's show. It was going to focus on Sadiq Bay on some level, and also we'll get back to that later on. But for the most part, the headliner of this game has to be the Hawks' calamitous defensive performance against the Charlotte Hornets. Final score, 144 to 138 up in Charlotte. And yes, the Bay trade went through. He ended up playing. We'll talk about that more. The Hawks fall back to 500 with this loss of 29-29, and they lose the season series in pretty stunning fashion to the Hornets. Um Three to one, not exactly what you would normally see. The Hawks did have a nice, valiant comeback effort at the end. They were down by 17 points with about 10 minutes to go. Got it all the way down to one in the final 90 seconds, but it wasn't quite enough to get it over the line. And uh, there you go. I will start here and just say, context-wise, this is not a good loss for the Hawks under any circumstances. Of course, the defense is the headliner, but it's not quite as bad as it would have been had they lost to, let's say, San Antonio on Saturday or if they had lost to the Zombie Suns last week at home because those are those are home games against bad teams. And this is a road game. Anything can happen on the road in the NBA. But the Hornets have been a mess for a while. In fact, they had lost seven straight games coming into the night. They were tied for the worst record in the Eastern Conference coming into the night. And they've now won three times against the Hawks this year and only 13 times against any other team in the league. Also, the Hornets did not have some rotation guys in this game. Cody Martin, Kelly Oubre, not, not their best players, but certainly guys who play for them every night on the wing. And yes, Atlanta was down a key piece in John Collins, in particular on the defensive end of the floor, which we'll come back to later on. And the game was on the road, but our friends at FanDuel made the Hawks a five and a half point, uh, sorry, five and a half point favorite in this game. As we'll get to right now, the defense just collapsed, and the Hawks never led in this game. That's actually kind of a weird thing to happen in an NBA game, especially when it's kind of competitive down the stretch. But the Hawks never led, and uh, it was defensively. Uh, they just kind of fell apart in this one. So they allow 144 points on 107 possessions defensively. That's about a 135 defensive rating. If you're not big into the defensive rating and more advanced metrics, the worst team in the league is the Spurs this year, and they have about a 120 defensive rating for the year. The Hawks had a 135 tonight against a Hornets team that, by the way, ranks coming into the night dead last in the NBA in offensive efficiency. Now, the Hornets are better than that with LaMelo Ball. He missed a lot of time early in the season. That's part of why they're at the bottom. But they're not a good offense no matter what. Even with LaMelo, they're still below average, and the Hawks gave up 135 defensive rating to the Hornets. Also, their season high allowed in points is 144, which has happened tonight. The previous mark was held by the Warriors game that was a double overtime. So this is the easily worst defensive performance by, by, the, by the number of points in a regulation game this season. 
And look, the, the shooting was a big problem, as we'll focus on here in a second, but it was not the only issue in this game. And that's partially not in Atlanta. Of course, there's some shooting variants. Anytime you allow 144, it's kind of hard to do that without the other team cooperating and playing well. But uh, the Hawks did, sorry, the Hornets did shoot above their heads in this game unequivocally. That's part of the story here. So we'll touch on that now. They shot 55% or better in every single quarter in this game. That's actually hard to do. Um, there's usually some ebb and flow over the course of a four quarter NBA game, 48 minutes, and the Hornets just made shots all night long. They shot 20 of 37 from three. That tied their season high for three pointers made in a game. They shot 63% from the field in this game. That's just a ridiculous number. And look, a decent number of those jump shots that they made both inside the arc and outside the arc were contested. The Hawks didn't just like completely like fall down on defense the entire game. But you cannot blame it just on shot making if you watch the tape back. First, the Hawks were just flat out terrible containing the ball all night long. I know Nate McMillan is a, a punching bag at times, but he said after the game that the Hawks just couldn't contain the ball. And he, he's 100% right. If you, watch the, if you watch the tape, especially early on, the Hawks just did not have resistance on the perimeter this entire game. And that was going to get them in a bad spot because Charlotte had a lot of freedom early on. They got a rhythm with their shooters. And then the Hawks got um, basically got blitzed by that. And they were genuinely bad defensively, just with coverages, rotations, all kinds of breakdowns. But it started at the top, at, at the, top of the key on the perimeter. They weren't, they, they weren't rotating properly. They weren't digging down. They weren't like, doing everything that you want to do defensively. The one area they were good defensively in this game was rebounding. But other than that, it was really bad. And look, did, did they deserve a 135 defensive rating against Charlotte? Probably not. But the Hornets did, you know, they did outplay the Hawks on the end of the floor, even when you sort of level off the shooting variants. And the Hawks were awesome on offense for the most part in this game. But defensively, like if you look at this game and like coming away with it, I saw some takeaways after this game about like the Hawks offense. Look, this is one of those nights where you can kind of just cross off the offense as a negative talking point. The defense was the reason why the Hawks lost this game. Full stop. Yes, there's some hat tipping going on to Charlotte, but the Hawks were not good enough defensively, full stop. And yeah, without Collins, they're not the same team defensively. I know that nationally he's not quite regarded as a high-end defender. Collins is a big part of their defense, and there's a big drop-off without him, but he shouldn't be accounting for this kind of drop-off defensively. So it was everybody involved. Even the big guys weren't like totally dominant defensively. I think it was more on the perimeter for sure. Um, you know, Player for players we'll get into later on. Not a lot of defensive uh, standouts in this game. But, uh, yeah, just a bad night overall on defense, and it really, really cost them against a opponent that they should have beaten that they're better than. The Hawks are better than the Hornets, and you cannot lose to a team that you're better than three out of four times and feel good about that. So uh, that was sort of the headliner of the evening. Um, from there, again, the offense was good in this game, and the possession battle was pretty crazy. In fact, the wild thing about this game overall is how big Atlanta's edge was in the possession battle, and they still couldn't win because of how bad the defense was. The Hawks – absolutely crushed the glass in this game on offense and defense. And they also won the turnover margin by five. If you, if all you if all you showed me about this game was, was the rebound margin and the turnover margin, I would have said the Hawks won this game like 90% of the time or higher. That's how much of a possession battle edge they had. In fact, they took 24 more shots from the field than the Hornets did. You don't lose games when you shoot that many more times from the field than, than your opponent. But the Hawks did because they could not get stops. By the way, they scored 20 points more than the Hornets did in the paint. 74 points in the paint for the Hawks. I am the first to point out when the Hawks don't shoot enough threes. And the Hawks are not a high enough volume team from three in this uh, this season that I believe they should be. But this is not a, a game to like worry about that. It took 28. That's a, not a crazy high number by any means. But they did everything they wanted to do on offense in this game. They scored effectively. They had almost 1.3 plus possession in the game. 
and you cannot pick on the offense on this night. Um, they were above average from shooting. They were great, great on the offensive glass, obviously. They were solid in the ball security. They just It just didn't matter because of how bad they were defensively. So we'll get into how sort of the, all, all the game tracked, the game flow, and how, again, the Hawks never, never led in this game and the, and the player evaluations later on. But the Hawks are now 500 again this season, and if you want to circle anything about this game, it was the defense, broadly speaking, and in particular on the perimeter, just absolutely collapsed at an inopportune time, and that is what cost the Hawks this victory and sent them back to 500 for the season. All right, we'll get into more of this game, of course, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel, and the midway point of the season is now behind us in the NBA. The All-Star break is rapidly approaching, of course, and is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And new customers get a no-sweat first bet to up to $1,000. That means bonus bets coming back to you. Your first bet doesn't win with FanDuel. Download the app right now at FanDuel Sportsbook, and it's safe, secure, and super easy to use about anything that you're looking for. That includes point spreads and totals and money lines, player props, etc., if you listen to this on Tuesday, there's a full slate of NBA and college action out there for you. And the Hawks are back on the floor on Wednesday for a high-profile game against the Knicks. I'll be interested to see what the spread is in that one, but uh, we'll stay tuned for all that point spread uh, information coming up later on this week. And from there, find many more exclusive bets at FanDuel, like the 2 by 3 which is where there'll be two three-pointers in the first three minutes of the game and much more. Plus, FanDuel allows you to combine bets together for a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get in on the no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 at Bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, we'll dive into the game flow in this one. Again, I think I said it before once, but John Collins did not play. He was questionable with hip flexor soreness. Also, McDonald's was questionable with hip soreness as well. Bogey ended up playing. Collins did not. No further update that I have seen about Collins and his injuries. So we'll see if he returns on Wednesday, but questionable. At least he wasn't ruled out early in the day. And they, did, they definitely missed him in this one for sure. Um, but that was kind of the only pregame um, you know, hiccup point other than Bay being active and starting. Um, that was a bit of an interesting situation with Sadiq Bay. In fact, uh, I was pretty stunned that he started in this game and even more so after the game because Bay told the media, I'm uh, quoting Lauren Williams of the AJC here, Bay said after the game that, that because of the trade and all that stuff, he had not been on the floor in the gym in three days. And, you know, just for reference point, Bruno Fernando was acquired at the same time as Bay. He was actually able to go through shoot around the other day and be around the team in official capacity. He was in street clothes in this game and he was active, but just wasn't even dressed for the game. Whereas Bay ended up starting, which was certainly curious. I'm not saying it's not his fault, by the way. I want to be very, very clear about that. It's not, that's not Bay's decision. But um, Nate said after the game that he, will, he basically was choosing that to try to keep his units together. I speculated that um, before the game when they announced that Bay was going to start, that I was like, well, Nate really, really likes to keep guys playing together in units. And Nate did say that after the game. I, I didn't love that. I would not have started Bay and played him that much in this game uh, because he seemed like he didn't have any, more, any idea of where to be, which, again, is not his fault at all. Uh, he wasn't ready to play probably. But um, anyway, I get, I, get, I get kind of all of that on – each side, but um, I was expecting them to start either Griffin or Bogey in this game. Um, I know the fans wanted, J- wanted Jalen Johnson. I get that, but Nate has shown a proclivity for not starting Jalen next to next to Capella in particular. But anyway, we'll come back to it later on. I just want to say that was pretty interesting at the top of this game. The Hawks were down by 10 at the first time out out of the gate. So as I said before, they never led because they were in a hole immediately out of the gate. They allowed 20 points on the first 12 possessions defensively. Uh, also, the Hawks missed their first, I think, five shots of the game. They were 0-6 from the floor with uh, with Hunter and Bay at the outset. Capella was the only kind of bright spot early on. He had eight points uh, out of the first 10, plus four rebounds for Atlanta in about five minutes. Rotationally, no huge surprises other than Bay, of course, starting. But he actually came out first. 
Trey didn't take his mid, his mid quarter break in the first quarter. He did he did take it in the second in the second half. So uh, no huge rotation changes. It will be more interesting to me and others to see what the Hawks do when Collins is available because that's the big question about the Sadiq thing about the Sadiq Bay acquisition is not 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 a bad thing by the way. You can't have too much depth. I know it's a talking point. I wouldn't worry about that at all. But are they going to play ten guys when Sadiq Bay is around and also John Collins is around? Or is he gonna? Or is like Jalen Johnson gonna stop playing or whatever? Um, I would try to play ten and try to keep Jalen engaged, but that's a big question moving forward that was not answered tonight because of Collins' absence. The Hawks are down by as many as fourteen points in the first quarter. They did a terrible job um, containing ball handlers again from the perimeter and not the same level of rim protection either without Collins on the floor playing. You know, two smaller forwards, uh, two not like traditional power forwards together in Bay and Hunter. It was magnified because Bay didn't really know where to be yet, but. Um, it was pretty obvious how bad the defense will, uh, sort of suffered without that secondary um, organizer and protector in Collins. The Hawks tried some zone to some ill effect, I thought, in the first quarter, but I didn't blame them for trying it. It was kind of a mess down the stretch of the first quarter as well. Trey got a technical foul. That was his 12th of the season. And by the way, there's a decent chance Trey gets suspended for a game at some point because he has 12 technical fouls and 16 is a suspension. So uh, he is more than on pace for that if you go you know, game for game. He doesn't have to get that many for sure, but uh, he definitely could be uh, in that peril of missing a game later on the season due to technical foul rack-ups because that's a league rule that uh, has been long on the books. And you might remember that most prominently because of Draymond Green getting technical foul points and uh, missing a finals game that they ended up losing back in 2016. Um, Jalen Johnson missed a dunk in that stretch as well. A couple of wide open threes that were missed by good shooters. Just a kind of a messy end of the quarter. And they were down by nine. And honestly, I felt like the Hawks were pretty fortunate to be dominant at the end of the first quarter. They were 9 of 29 from the field and 0 of 8 from 3 at the end of the first quarter. So if you're trying to circle the offense, it was really the first quarter that was bad. The rest of the game, they were basically perfect on offense. Uh, just the first quarter was kind of a slow start. And defensively, as we have talked about a lot, it was quite bad. Um, once the bench unit came in with DeJounte Murray in the second quarter, they actually were better on offense. They scored 16 points on the first eight possessions of the second quarter. But defensively, it continued to be a disaster. And that led to a 12-2 run by the Hornets in the middle of the quarter. Um, they had two points in like three minutes of that stretch as well. Bogey played 14 consecutive minutes in the first half. I really, really don't like that. I I get I kind of get why it happened on some level because of the Bay changes there. Also, Trey, Trey played the whole first quarter, et cetera. But I don't love that attempt. I'm not sure if it's a training staff thing or whatever that they think Bogey's better off playing one long stint. But – I think because of the fact that Bay w- wasn't ready to play a full workload, I think I would have gone back to Griffin or Johnson because Bogey, you know, wasn't playing well too. It'd be different if he had had the hot hand; it would have been more understandable. But Bogey was not good in this game, so uh, I wanted to at least circle that and just point out that I didn't love that um, deployment by any means. There was a nice uh, corner three by Bay at the end of the first um, end of the first half. Actually, hit two in a pretty short amount of time: one from Trey and one from Dejounte, and he's going to get a lot of that shot, as a lot of the Hawks do. But Bay is a better shooter pretty clearly than like Jalen Johnson is, for instance. He's not quite at the level of a sniper of Bogey or Griffin, but Bay is a step up from Jalen in particular as a shooter and even from Collins as a shooter at this point in terms of like being guarded and providing gravity. And he'll have all you can eat on those corner threes. That's sort of a good thing to see there. Honestly, that's probably going to be, in my mind, his number one strength, number one appeal on offense right now is going to be his uh, his three-point shooting on the perimeter. So there's something there. Hawks did chip away and get get back within six at at the end of the first half. Uh, because they had an offensive rating over 150 in the second quarter. That is uh, ludicrous. But unfortunately, defense never fully cooperated. After halftime, they were down by 11 again, pretty much in a hurry. Um, they traded like 6-0 runs in the middle of the quarter. It was a long review with like four minutes to go in the third when Kong got fouled hard. 
I thought I might get upgraded to a flagrant foul, but it wasn't at that point in time. Um, I finally got some stops in the middle of the third quarter, got back within three. I actually had a chance, I think, two different times with a shot in the air to get within one or even tie the game. And those shots went begging, but offensively they sputtered late in the third. And uh, Trey had a really, really bad fast break that was kind of out of character for him. That was a bad possession. Bogey had a pretty ugly mid-ranger in that stretch as well. And then the Hornets closed the third quarter on a 10-0 run, put the Hawks, up by, the Hawks down by 13 points. The Hawks didn't score for the final 240. Had seven trips in a row where they didn't score. And uh, Charlotte was, again, just cooking on offense that entire stretch. It actually became an 18-4 overall run by the Hornets. I said this earlier in the podcast, but – Locked her down by 17 points with 10 minutes to go. And from that point forward, they actually played quite well in the fourth quarter. It was just the hole was too big, and that's why the entire game matters. Um, they did what they had to do quickly to kind of cut the lead in half. Bogey had to, had to pull up three. It was down to nine with like seven minutes to go. And it, that was like step one check, basically, in that in that stretch for the Hawks. There was a big play with like 4.30 to go. Hunter hit a jump shot and was fouled by Gordon Hayward. He might have tweaked something actually on the landing, but ended up staying in the game. It looked like he might have rolled his ankle. It was reviewed for a flagrant foul and upgraded to a flagrant foul for a three-point play for, for Hunter. And the Hawks got the ball on that play on that play as well, down seven. Unfortunately, they didn't score. That was a uh, sort of an open door that was kind of closed on them. And the Hornets kept on scoring. Three, three buckets in a row, four Charlottes make that make life difficult. But there was one more run coming for Atlanta, an eight-to-two push, threes by Bogey and Trey, and a dunk from a dunk from Clint Capella. And the Hornets had to call a timeout with two, with two minutes to go with four on the shot clock. So the Hawks were, again, back within um, you know three or, four po- three or four points at that stage. And again, right in the middle of the game, four on the shot clock defensively. They did a, Trey did a really good job defensively on that play, actually, to force that tie-up and uh, it le- that led to a timeout. But uh, and at that point, the Hawks had cut the deficit from 17 down to two in about eight minutes. But from there, it was not what you want. So uh, Hayward hit a three out of an ATO that was a good play by the Hornets, but also a breakdown by the Hawks to go back up by five. Trey, though, did create four straight points, actually a, a floater of his own, and then a lob to Capella, and the Hawks got within one, their closest margin in the entire game, with about 80 seconds to go. But then Rogier beat Trey for a backdoor, for, a, for an easy layup to go back down by three points, and then the biggest you know, sort of highlight swing, probably national uh, highlight play, in this game was Mark Williams, the rookie center from the Hornets, blocking a Trey Young step back three on the next possession and then got an outlet pass and finished the layup in transition. It was honestly a great play by Williams, so I want to give him that, the hat tip there. It was a, a very athletic play for a seven-footer to be able to do that. Also, though, a bad shot by Trey. I get why he was a little bit cooking at, at that point in time. He was playing well in the fourth quarter. That was a bad fourth shot against a guy. I think he just kind of misjudged who, was, who the opponent was. Mark Williams has a 7-7 seven, seven wingspan. And most guys don't block that shot. But Mark Williams is a really, really good shot blocker who is absolutely enormous. So Trey just kind of misjudged that. Ends up being a block, a run out, a layup, and the Hawks are down by five points. It wasn't over, but that was a big swing, obviously. And then after Trey did score on the, on the next possession out, out of a timeout, um, a nice pick and pop by the Hornets ends up with a P.J. Washington three-pointer for the actual dagger with about 25 seconds to go. But the Hawks down by six, and that was the end of that. So, again, the Hawks did chip away, and there should be some – positivity about the way the Hawks closed this game. I don't want to overstate it either. It wasn't like you're, you're going to throw a parade by any means, but the Hawks didn't roll over. They could have, and uh, they were right there again, down by one with 80 seconds to go. And then down by two or three, a couple different times in the final couple minutes. And uh, you know, if Trey just sneaks that three over Mark Williams hands, maybe it's a tie game. I'm not sure if that would have gone in anyway. We'll, we'll never know, but that was a huge swing play. And then uh, kind of fittingly, 
another three from a decent shooter in P.J. Washington, but not a great shooter by the Hornets to kind of put the game out of, out of reach, and uh, we'll leave it there for now. All right, we'll get to the player evaluations in a second, and I promise you there's plenty to say about all of those guys in this particular contest. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know, success in 2023 is all dependent on the team members that you surround yourself with. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs is a fantastic option for you. LinkedIn Jobs helps you qualify, help hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. I've used them in the past, LinkedIn Jobs, and it really has been an awesome experience. It's painless. It makes the entire thing easy and uh, quick and really uh, just a satisfying experience from top to bottom. They help you to attract qualified candidates to open jobs with targeting tools and make it easy to screen out the kids based on your job qualifications all in one platform. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post, your company, and their millions of member profiles. But the posts from a lot of different people, obviously, and doing it quickly and doing it for free. LinkedIn Jobs is rated number one in delivering quality hires with leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs also helps you find the most qualified candidates you want to talk to, and they help you to do it faster. Post your job for free. Yes, for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. One more time. That is linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. Terms and conditions apply. All right. I would normally start with the, with the bench guys, but I'm going to start with Sadiq Bay because it was his first game in the Hawks uniform. The trade finally, after the long national nightmare, gets approved on Sunday evening, and Bay is able to suit up and play in this one. He ends up with 12 points on 21 minutes. He hit three threes. That's good to see. Three out of five. Had five rebounds. Did have a block shot. Two turnovers. Again, the start is kind of surprising to me. I should have said this earlier, but it was kind of reminiscent of a time where, actually multiple times, where Nate has started Aaron Holiday to the frustration of Hawks fans. When Aaron had been like out of the rotation, but you get one injury and it's suddenly Aaron Holiday starting because Nate just loves to go with those units. Um, I would have played Bay less in this game. I would have maybe tried him at some point, but I would have certainly rather started any of the bench guys in his place in this one. Um, it wasn't like he played badly, but defensively he was definitely a liability in this game. It was even more stark because of the fact that Collins has been good this year and would have been more of an organizer. But Bay, again, not his fault at all. I want to stress that. Just wasn't prepared to play. I don't think that he was uh, as dialed on the system. And I talked about this a little bit earlier, I guess, last week on the uh, Trade Deadline Reaction Podcast. Bay is not a good, has not been a good defender in his career. So that's at least worth noting. Like I'm not sure Hawks fans or maybe fans in general kind of understand that Bay is, at least to this point, a below average, at least to be kind, defender. But I think he might get better in the, in the Hawks uniform. But tonight is one where I kind of want to cross it off as far as like future facing. But he was uh, certainly not good defensively. But there were nice flashes on offense. The three threes are that kind of speaks for itself. He's a, he's a real weapon there. He's only like a career 36-ish percent three-point shooter, which is fine. But I think that he is a solid above-average shooter, from at least at the four. Definitely at the four, he's above average from three-point range. And then the rest of his game on offense, you know, I think he's probably better better suited for a pretty low usage role. He was only one of four on twos in this game. That's been actually a theme of his career. He's like 45% career on twos. So um, I, I think he definitely is better suited for a three and D kind of pure role right now. We'll see. But I always want to talk, talk about him at the, top, at the top of the podcast. And tough spot for him. Obviously, I, I've heard a lot of stuff that's really good about Sadiq Bey uh, as a guy the last couple of days, just asking around the league about him, dating back to Villanova, et cetera. So a lot of a lot of good reviews about Sadiq Bey, but um, obviously a tough spot for him. Honestly, him starting and closing this game is pretty crazy with no practice and none of that stuff. So an interesting spot there, but I thought he did at least a reasonable job, even if he was certainly behind the curve and what he uh, knew and what he was able to execute in this game. Uh, back to the bench, where it was kind of an adventure in this one. In fact, the bench was not good. I thought Kongo was probably the bright spot, so we'll start there. He had 12 points, 
seven rebounds, three steals, and two blocks. Very active for Okongwu. Did four fouls in 19 minutes in typical Okongwu fashion, but certainly was habit-creating and was uh, making a lot of things just happen, generally speaking, in this one. Um, I thought he might have probably could have played a little bit more down the stretch. I thought Capella was pretty good, though, so it's kind of, I, I, I could see both sides. But I think he, I think Okongwu and Capella were two of their best four or five players in this game. Like They both played well, and they were not the problem at all. It was more the perimeter guys, but I thought Okongwu was, was their bright spot off the bench. Uh, AJ Griffin had kind of a rough one, six points on seven shots, including two of two from the free throw line. So uh, two of seven from the floor, did have four rebounds and an assist. AJ has been a little bit cold uh, in recent days. Uh, obviously, he was probably due for that, but I believe yeah, yeah, five of the last six games, he has shot 43% or worse from the field. He is now shooting, I think it's like 27% in, from three in February. So like, I don't worry about that at all, but he's just, I think maybe hit the rookie wall, probably uh, could, could be uh, using the all-star break right about now. And by the way, he doesn't really have the full all-star break either. He has, he has to go to Salt Lake City and play. So keep an eye on that. Jalen Johnson was fine. Nine points on seven shots. Only one, one rebound in this game. Defensively, a couple of uh, missed rotations, I thought, from both Griffin and Johnson. Typical young guy, young guy stuff, but certainly they were not part of the solution defensively at all in this one. And then Bogey, uh, 11 points. Two steals, uh, two assists, and four rebounds. So, like some counting stats there. Made three of five from three, but it was two of six from two. And defensively, it was really rough. You know, I think that it seems to me, I think he might be underrated to Hawks fans right now. I think that Bogey is not playing particularly well, but there's this uh, notion that he's like totally useless. I don't believe that at all. But if you watch the defense in this game, uh, there were lots of problems, but he was a prominent one of those. Not not be able to slide, move his feet, stay keeping guys in front of him, and then offensively he forced it a little bit. He was better in the second half for sure on, on offense, and actually had the best plus minus of any of the bench guys. But defensively, it was notably bad. I thought from Bogey in this game. Um, to the starters, other than Bay, who we talked about already, uh, Hunter had a decent game on offense. Twenty-one points, seven rebounds, pretty solid there. Eight of 17, seventeen from the floor, one of five from three. So that means he was seven of twelve on twos. Um, I thought he was aggressive and good on, on offense. It was his, one of his worst defensive games in a while, which you know is not surprising given the context of the team. But I thought Gordon Hayward got him a few times in this game, and Hunter wasn't like the problem, but certainly wasn't as good as he has been defensively for most of the season in this game. But he, he was the best uh, plus minus on the team at plus nine. I'm not sure he like earned that quote unquote, but I thought he was fine in general because the offense was pretty good, even, even if defense was not. Um, Dejounte Murray, 20 points, five rebounds, four assists for Dejounte. Um, I thought he was pretty actively bad defensively, especially on the mellow ball. Um, LaMelo got wherever he wanted to go for the most part in this game, had 30 and 15 assists. Um, that's not all on Murray by any means, but as I said before, I think basically no one was good on the perimeter defensively in this game. I'll be very clear about that. No one was good. No one. And I think Murray has the stopper, the stopper reputation that he's not really earned defensively. He is good as a habit creator off the ball as a, as a passing lanes guy, but on the ball, it continues to be uh, more stark game by game that Murray's just not, particularly good at that and I think he has a reputation that outpaces that but he was uh, pretty bad on the ball in this one uh Trey Young had a big game um 25 points 14 assists um didn't have his great shooting night though he was only five of 11 on twos and two of seven on threes so uh, below average efficiency there got to the line nine times made all nine that's always a nice thing for Trey to do uh defensively pretty bad I thought he had a couple nice plays in the fourth quarter when he was more locked in but he was part of the problem like everybody else was on the perimeter in this game and we'll leave it there for now and then Capella 22 points, seven rebounds, uh, did have uh, a steal in this game as well. 11 of 17 from the floor. Um, it was kind of ironic. Like, the Hawks didn't have anybody that was a great rebounder in this game because the Hornets just made every shot. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But the Hawks did a good job team rebounding on this one. That was kind of the one bright spot defensively. And I thought Clint was pretty effective 
in this game. Again, he, I thought he and Okongwu might have been two of their best three players alongside Trey in this one, maybe maybe four if you want to throw in Hunter. So, I don't know, a lot to get to there. But it was a generally maddening performance from the Hawks defensively. And uh, we'll end with this. Uh, I had a tweet go viral about 10 days ago about how kind of just the Hawks had been this 500 team across the board. Uh, and ironically, the Hawks are back to being that again after tonight's game. They are 29 and 29 the season. They are dead in the middle of the East. There are seven teams worse than them. There are seven teams better than them. And they're right in the middle of 15 teams in the East. They are five and five against the division this year in the Southeast. And as of this moment, they have scored the exact same amount of points that they have allowed for the season. They have a dead, even plus or minus zero net rating for the season. That means the Hawks are as 500 as possible at this moment. And do I believe they're better than that? I do. But the results say after, again, like two thirds of the season are now in the books. The Hawks have been this team and uh, actually more than two thirds of the season are not in the books and the Hawks have been this team all year long. So there's still time, but uh, it's a frustrating result to be sure. And honestly, they don't have a lot of time here because the last game before the All-Star break is a pretty big one on Wednesday. It's a home showdown against the New York Knicks. The Knicks are uh, playing pretty well this year. Jalen Brunson had a huge game tonight for the Knicks. I think he had, yeah, he had 40 points for uh, for New York, and they're now 32 and 27 on the year. So the Hawks are uh, two and a half games behind the Knicks. But this is one that you have to circle for a number of reasons. Number one, New York is the team that's directly ahead of the Hawks in the standings. Number two, the Hawks could win the season series against New York with a win. It's, it's currently 2-1 in favor of Atlanta. If they win this one, that that's occurs a tiebreaker against the Knicks. So it's kind of a double game in some ways. Plus it's at home and it's the last game for nine days. You know, basically uh, there's always better vibes if you win on the way out to the All-Star break than if you were to lose, especially after a loss tonight. So uh, a pretty big one on the agenda for Wednesday. Um, I'm not one to put undue emphasis on any game in February of an NBA season, but certainly uh, given the standings and given where the Hawks are, uh, getting that one at home would be very, very nice, and we'll see how sort of how the projection goes in that game. And you know, the Hawks have been pretty good at home at times, but uh, the Knicks have been you know pretty feisty this year and uh, have, been, have been the better team so far this season, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I would have lost a bet on that for sure through 59 games or something like that. But um, you know, Atlanta has a good chance to get a uh, sort of a, a palate cleansing win on Wednesday if they can if they can play better on defense. Because uh, again, full circle here, offense pretty darn good in this game for the most part. Defense. Pretty darn bad in this one, and that was the recipe for what was a pretty bad loss. Was it the worst loss of the season? No, but uh, was it on the top 10 list of the worst, worst losses of the season? Uh, almost certainly, when you factor in everything going on with the Hornets and the fact that the Hawks lost to a team, again, that now has three losses, sorry, three wins over the Hawks this season and 13 against the rest of the league. They are 16 and 43, and the Hawks have lost to them three times. Not great, as we end the podcast on this Monday. All right, we'll sign off now. Please subscribe to this show. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. I appreciate everyone jumping on the podcast. I know football's over now, so maybe people have a little bit more time for local professional basketball. If you're a new listener, I really do appreciate that. And please subscribe to the show anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play. We should be there all those places. And please auto-download as well as ratings and reviews are always appreciated. We're also on video over on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to the podcast over there. I write about the Hawks at patreon.com slash BT Roland. You can also follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. I appreciate all the support. Hopefully we'll have more positive stuff to talk about in the relatively near future. We'll have much more content coming up. We're not going to take the entire break either. We'll have multiple podcasts between the Hawks games that uh, I guess are eight or nine days apart. A lot of shows might take a hiatus there. I'll probably take a couple days off for sure, but I will have content 
through the All-Star break as well. So we never really fade away on the Locked Hawks podcast. I appreciate all the support. Please subscribe, tell a friend, and we'll see you next time.